Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Good morning, church. A warm welcome to our service at Covenant EFC. And it's wonderful to see you folks here. And also a warm welcome to those who are worshipping with us online. Now, um, it's wonderful to be back. I think the last time I, I was here was eight months ago. So that was last year. And it's always wonderful to see familiar friends and spiritual family here. Now, before we begin this morning, I'd just like to do a quick survey. Uh, how many of you love Chinese Kung Fu movies? Okay, I see some hands. As you probably guess, I do. And uh, one of my favorite characters is Ip Man. So I'm very excited Ip Man 5 is coming. <laughs> now, uh, I made a confession, okay? I, I can watch the same fighting scenes over and over again and still feel quite enraptured. <laughs> now, um, there was an iconic fight scene in the first Iman movie, I don't know whether you recall. Uh, basically, there was this northern martial arts master who turned up at Iman's house and then challenges him to a fight, right? And so they fight, and halfway into the fight, this master is thrown a sword, he wields his sword, and what does Iman do? He picks up a feather duster, right? Do you all recall this scene? Huh? Those Kung Fu fans would do, right? So they fight, and Iman wins. And how does the fight end? It ends with this scene uh, where Iman points the, the, the feather duster at his throat, and this master Jin, uh, he's humbled, right? So he confesses, concedes, and pays respect to Ip Man's superior southern Wing Chun skills. You are probably wondering what has Ip Man got to do with this sermon. Actually, I also don't know. <laughs> I guess I got excited watching the Ip Man 5 poster. <laughs> On a more serious note, I think there was this team of a proud man, Humboldt. Of course, in chapter 4, which we have been covering in three weeks, the proud person is not a Kung Fu master Jin, but the proud and humble king, Nebuchadnezzar. Now this king opposes the all-powerful God, and God humbles this king. Don't even have to use feather duster, just give him two frightening dreams. <laughs> this morning, the sermon will cover two sets of verses, chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, and verses 34 to 37, and these verses form the start and end of Daniel chapter 4. Now before we begin, let us bow our heads in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, Almighty God, speak to our hearts afresh this morning. Stir us to worship you through your living word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, King Nebuchadnezzar praising God in these verses in chapter 4 is very significant. We must not forget that this king had every reason to be a proud king. After all, he was the most powerful king of his time, his empire was vast, and Babylon was a splendid city. History in Daniel chapter 1 tells us that this king destroyed Jerusalem, 
brought the temple vessels into the treasury of his own God, and he even deported people, the Jewish people, to Babylon. Now, with such achievements, the king must have thought to himself, you know, this God of the Jews, he's no big deal. After all, my gods and me, we won the fight. God of the Jews, no big deal. And yet in chapter 4, we see this king humble. God warns this king of his pride. The king ignores him. God meets out his judgment. And then we remember, right, what do you get? Mad cow disease. And the king and his kingdom is restored only when he looks at heaven, perhaps humbling, acknowledging that heaven rules. Now, let me briefly recap for us chapter 4 as it was covered in this pulpit in three weeks. The first week, we saw Tim giving an overview of chapter 4, where he was recounting the king's dream, its interpretation, its implementation, and its ending. Then we saw how real proud this king was by Pastor Tony, it's sermon two weeks back, and how hard of hearing the king was in Pastor Sandra's sermon last week, and hence the king's need to repent of his hardened heart. Now, as shared this morning, we will be exploring two sets of verses. They are general chapter 4, verse 1 and 3, and verses 34 to 37. Now, these verses can be called an inclusio. Uh, an inclusio is simply repeated phrases, framing a narrative at the start and end, giving the narrative a unity and finality. So this morning's sermon is on these two sets of verses, which forms the inclusio. Now, in this inclusio, we see the king Nebuchadnezzar testifying of God in his royal letter. Now, this king has finally personally encountered God in a deeper way than before. Now, such an amazing testimony by the public enemy number one of the Jewish people then under captivity would surely have encouraged and given these people a great hope. My friends, knowing our God reigns should always give us this hope. For if even the most powerful king then can be humbled by our God, and he now praises and honours God. How much more we as believers today should worship our God with a deeper awe and a greater wonder. As we begin this morning, I invite us to arise as we read Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 to 2 together. Are we ready? The verses are on the screen. Let us read it together. Daniel 4, verses 1 to 2. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Now here the king writes a letter seemingly to the entire world. Well, he's not really writing to the world, he's just writing to all his subjects and it's quite typical of the Assyrian and Babylonian kings to claim that they rule the world. More significantly is how the king addresses God. The king here addresses God as the Most High God, 
Now, what does the God Most High or the Most High God mean? Well, height is about superior power, strength and authority. Here, it should mean that God alone is to be worshipped and no one else and nothing else compares or competes. Now, whether King Nebuchadnezzar worships God in this way here is left to various conclusions. For us this morning, my humble exhortation to us is that we must worship God wholeheartedly as He deserves our worship. Now, from this inclusio, King Nebuchadnezzar testifies of God as one who does great signs and mighty wonders. Now, let us explore what this means for the king. Here, the king sees these attributes of God and they are, one, that God is a mystery revealer and a mighty deliverer. Two, that his kingdom is everlasting. Three, that God is all-powerful, does as he pleases, and to no one he answers. Finally, God is a merciful restorer, just and righteous, and the proud he humbles. Let us go through these attributes one by one. First, the king would see God as a mystery revealer and a mighty deliverer. He declares these attributes of God in Daniel 2 verse 47 and Daniel 3 verses 28 to 29. Now, on these occasions, recall that only Daniel could interpret the king's first dream. Recall in Daniel 2, the king's dream team failed. Now in Daniel 3, God miraculously delivers Daniel's three friends from the fiery furnace that was heated more than seven times. So God is first a mystery revealer and a mighty deliverer. Second, the king confesses that God's kingdom and dominion is everlasting. And we see this in Daniel 4 verse 3 and verse 34. Third, we see the king in Daniel 4, verse 35, confessing God as all-powerful, doing as he pleases, and answering to no one. Now, my friends, these attributes, these truths that the king now confesses of God, he was told all of this before. Where, we might ask, well, the first occasion is when Daniel interpreted the king's first dream in Daniel 2, verses 36 to 44. Here, Daniel stated three things very clearly for the king. One, as we see in the underlying verses in Daniel 2, verses 36 to 38, is that it was God who gave the king his kingdom, and it was God who made him ruler over all. Two, we see how the king is told in Daniel 2, verses 39 40, that his kingdom will not last. Why? Because there are three more kingdoms after the king's kingdom. Three, here in Daniel 2 verse 44, Daniel clearly tells the king that God's kingdom will destroy all the earthly kingdoms and only God's kingdom will last forever. Yes, in this first occasion, where all these truths are clearly told to the king in chapter 2, we should have expected a better response from the king. But we all know what happened, right? In chapter 3, he builds a golden statue. The, clearly, the king 
miss God's message to him of God's everlasting kingdom and God's total sovereign power. Now, the second occasion is in chapter 3. Here, the king is reminded of God's power when Daniel's three friends tells the king in Daniel 3, verses 17 to 18, that they would not serve his gods or his statue as their powerful God would deliver them from the fire and this king. Now, my friends, how could the king overlook all these truths when they were so clearly told to him before? As previous sermons have warned us, we can be so full of ourselves that we fail to see sometimes what God is clearly trying to tell us. So one question in our spiritual journey we must always ask ourselves and each other is this, what do you sense God showing you or saying to you in the situations of your life? Oh, we can be so consumed sometimes by our comfort and our pains that we miss God's message altogether, isn't it? Yet, often it is when our spiritual eyes are open to behold the divine purposes of God in our situations that will keep us persevering, pressing on, pulling us through, and still praising God. Now we have seen the first three attributes. Now let us go to the fourth, that the king sees God as a merciful restorer. And we see this in Daniel 4, verse 34 and 36, when the king testifies of how God restored him when he repented. Finally, the king confesses that God's works are right, his ways are just, and that God humbles the proud. And we see this in Daniel 4, verse 37. Finally, the king gets the message. Now, from chapter 4, any objective observer, like this king, would have concluded that God is clearly just and totally faultless. Let's recap this very quickly in chapter 4. Here, God gives the king his second dream, which is really warning him the third time, tells him why he needs to know, tells him why he has this dream, because that he needs to know that the God Most High rules over all, tells the king to repent and shows him how, gives him another 12 months to repent, which the king doesn't, and God finally judges him when the king talks big. Friends, I can appreciate times when we may feel that God is unfair. This could be times when we are in great pain or suffering, or it might also be due to our pride. My friends, I empathize. Whatever our situation, may I encourage us to do our best to humble ourselves to believe the truth that God is never unfair. Pride or pain, they can blind our spiritual eyes to behold all that God has already been doing in our lives or already speaking to us. Thus, my loving pastoral counsel to us is this. Sometimes, rather than us, where are you, Lord? Or why, Lord, in our painful and difficult situations? Perhaps humbly ask God this instead. Open my eyes, Lord, that I may behold you and what you are doing. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 2, the king testifies of the signs and wonders which the God Most High has done for him. 
Here are these attributes once again. That God is a mystery revealer and a mighty deliverer. That God's kingdom lasts forever. That God is all-powerful, does what He pleases, and to no one He answers. Finally, that God is a merciful restorer, just and righteous, and the proud He humbles. My friends, a question for our reflection this morning. If a pagan king can testify of God, when was the last time we testified of God? Testified of who God is, of His goodness, of His faithfulness, of His blessings to our lives, to those around us. In this, I recall an elder in our church sharing a testimony once. You see, he owned a hotel for 10 years and it was bleeding financially. His friends blamed him and abandoned him to carry the hotel loan. Amidst his deepest discouragement, he cried out to God and the Lord reminded him of this hymn, Count Your Blessings. At that moment, he surrendered his troubles to God and he felt God's peace, which led to his praise. My friends, count your blessings. Count your blessings. Because when we do, we will feel his peace and be led to his praise, whatever our circumstances. My loving question to us this morning is this. If a proud, powerful and pagan king can encounter our God as the God of great signs and mighty wonders and so publicly testify of God and praise him, I believe our God surely deserves our wholehearted worship and praise as his believers today. For this pagan, it took his personal encounter with these attributes of God before he could praise God. For us as believers, I believe we have so much more revelation and reasons to worship and praise God today, isn't it? Since the time of King Nebuchadnezzar over 2,600 years ago, God has revealed so much more of himself when he sent his son Jesus to this world over 2,000 years ago. As Jesus has said, if you have seen me, you have seen God the Father, for I and God the Father are one. The Word of God tells us in the most popular verse in the Bible, John 3.16, that for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Praise be to God for His Word. My friends, God wants to give us eternal life in Christ Jesus. Now, what is eternal life? It is a life abundant in God, the spiritual life we were created to have and we so desperately need. And yet, like King Nebuchadnezzar, many times it is our own pride or perhaps it is our own pantheon of gods in our lives that separates us, that hinders us from experiencing this life-giving, life-transforming relationship with God, which God desires to bless us with. Now what is such a pantheon of other gods in our lives? What could this be? In his book, Counterfeit Gods, the late pastor Tim Keller helps us to see what these gods are and he calls these 
counterfeit gods. So I'm going to read us some quotes which really, really blessed me as they were very instructive. The first one is this, a counterfeit god is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. The second quote is a bit longer, bear with me, but it is very, very guiding. Now these counterfeit gods can be family or children, or career and making money, or achievement and critical acclaim, or saving face and social standing. It can be a romantic relationship, peer approval, competence, and skill, secure, and comfortable circumstances. It can be your beauty or your brains, a great political or social cause, even your morality or virtue, or even success in the Christian ministry. The third quote, an idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. With such a definition, my friends, certainly any sinful habit or addiction are likewise counterfeit gods in our life. Now, there was another quote by Pastor Tim, which recently also spoke to me, and this is what he says. To say, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself, means that we have failed an idol whose approval is more important than God's. My friends, what are our counterfeit gods? Recently, I heard a very powerful testimony by a brother who deeply inspired me. You see, his father was one who was very passionate about university education and he took up excessive loans just to fund two of his three children to study overseas. Now this brother, he decided to study locally when he saw his family situation, even when he had gotten a course overseas that was a course he actually wanted to do. Now, when he started work, he felt led by God to use his salary to pay off part of these loans that the family had raised to fund the two siblings to study overseas. Now, he could easily have left his siblings to do that, but he did what God led him to do. Now, the wonderful testimony is this. His father, who strongly opposed the Christian faith, and his entire family came to Christ when they saw what this brother had done for the family out of his obedience to God. Don't you think God deserves a clap offering? Now this testimony deeply inspired me because money was no counterfeit God to this brother. God not money was at the center of his life. For me, to feel financially secure was my counterfeit God in the early years of my life. This could be so because I grew up in a family where money was a constant issue for my parents and this impacted the family. So in the early years, I really struggled to fully trust God to provide for all my family needs and I was usually quite anxious about not having enough money and trying to save as much as I could. 
But thanks be to God, I had a breakthrough moment many, many years ago. It was through the story of Elijah. When God spoke to me about how he could provide for Elijah through the brook, through the ravens, and even a poor widow, I had a breakthrough. At that moment, I knew God was showing me that money was a counterfeit God in my life, and I had to surrender that God. And as I did so, I felt God's instant deliverance and His peace and praise flooded my heart. Could we give God another clap of My friends, we must seek to know the counterfeit gods in our lives and surrender them. Because when we do, it frees us to worship God more truly and more wholeheartedly like never before. What then is a true and wholehearted worship of God? Here, let us recall what Jesus said in John 4, verse 23. He says, But the hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. My friends, our worship of God must embrace the truth of who God is. And it's not just about declaring these truths in praise, but in how we live our lives as believers. True worship, wholehearted worship, must transform our lives. Yet, we must also worship God in spirit, because it is through His Spirit that enables us to believe in Him and empowers us to live the life He has called us to live. It is perhaps no coincidence that this Sunday is Pentecost Sunday, the seventh Sunday after Easter Sunday. Now, why is Pentecost significant? It is significant, as we know, because it is when the Holy Spirit first came upon the followers of Christ and they were filled with the Spirit. Now, this morning will be special because in a moment, I will be inviting us to respond in a time of extended worship. I hope you are excited. Why? Because I believe that as we are gathered in His name, His Spirit is among us as much as His Spirit is in us. And being Pentecost Sunday, I'm just trusting that God will especially empower our worship this morning. Now, when we sing songs of praises to God, I can appreciate that some of us may struggle to sing certain lyrics. Certain lyrics like, I love you, Lord. Certain lyrics like, I give you my heart. I can appreciate this, as we may feel that we are singing our aspirations more than our current truthful reality. If I could humbly suggest, let us nevertheless sing these songs with a bold confidence, assured that God who began a good work in us in growing us spiritually, will bring such work to completion for His glory at the day of Jesus Christ. In short, trust and believe God will make our aspirations our reality one day. At this moment, I invite us to bow our heads in prayer. First, I'd like to invite the believers in our midst those who have accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Saviour. If God is speaking to you, 
this morning about the counterfeit gods in your life. Would you surrender these to God? Perhaps you have done it before. Then my counsel to you, do it again. Oftentimes, these are daily surrenders. But when we surrender our counterfeit gods to Him, it will liberate us. It will free us to worship God wholeheartedly. Worship Him truly like never before. God is speaking to you, brothers and sisters. Would you transact this with the Lord right now? In your heart, tell God, yes, maybe you've done this before, but come back in earnest again and say to God, Lord, I surrender this once again to you, this counterfeit God in my life, because I truly, wholeheartedly, want to worship you and you alone as my God. If you have prayed that prayer, can I invite you to just raise your hands with our eyes closed. Thank you. I'd like to pray for us. It's between you and the Lord. Father, you see these hands that are raised. Lord, honour their desire the desire to want to worship you and you alone, that you might bless them abundantly. Now invite those who have yet to receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Saviour. And it could be some of you here or those worshipping online. Now if God is speaking to you this morning to respond to Him, to receive the eternal life, that He wants to bless you with. I invite you to pray this prayer along with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, Father of your Son Jesus Christ, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. I know I'm a sinner and my sins have separated me from you. Today, right now, I accept Jesus as my personal Lord and Saviour. And by faith, I declare that I'm now a child of God through this prayer. Prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. Now with our eyes still closed, if this is the first time you're receiving the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior, would you raise your hands? Is there anyone? With our eyes still closed, let me pray a simple prayer for those who have prayed this prayer. Thank you, gracious God, Heavenly Father, the one true God. You see, those who have prayed this prayer to receive your Son as their personal Lord and Saviour this morning, bless them with your love, your joy, and your peace of being your spiritual children as of today, as of right now. In Jesus' name we pray. And let all God's people say, Amen. I invite us to arise. As I promise us, 
we will go into an extended time of worship. Are we excited? Amen. <laughs> now let us worship God with all our hearts, our mind and our soul, and the fullness of our voices and our hearts. Let us worship God in spirit and truth. Worship God empowered by His Word and enabled by His Spirit. Let us worship Him. Oh Lord my God. Oh 
our praise. Can we just sing that chorus again? Lord, I give you my heart. 
And just lift up, lift that up as a prayer to God, as a worship to Him. Lord, we give you our hearts. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake. Lord, have your that worship to the glory of your name and in Jesus name we pray amen let's give the Lord a clap offering and our Lord Jesus certainly deserve our worship and just as we are reminded that when we are able to surrender the counterfeit gods in our life that's where we are free and be able to worship him wholeheartedly Therefore, brothers and sisters, we know that the counterfeit gods will come and take over our hearts often. But again, we are reminded that we are to daily surrender, placing them at the foot of the cross so that when the counterfeit gods are no longer taking the throne in our heart, we are able to worship our one true God wholeheartedly and freely. Amen? Amen. Let's give thanks to our God. Thank you, God. We can worship you because of what you have done for us on the cross, Lord Jesus. And therefore, today, we are able to say, how great are your signs? How great are your wonders? Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures from generation to generation. Indeed, eternal God and Heavenly Father, you alone deserve our surrender and our worship unto you because you alone will deserve our wholehearted devotion. Therefore, we want to worship you, Lord, not just in words of worship song, but worshipping you ever, surrendering our life and in full obedience unto you. That we want to offer our life as pleasing and acceptable worship unto you. You who are the most high God, you who are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, you alone are deserving of our worship for there is no one else like you, O God. Therefore, we praise you, we honour you. Let's thank God again because it's just so deserving. I wish that we could carry on. Truly, He's so worthy. So brothers and sisters, shall we lift our hands right now and receive His benediction with a very thankful heart coming before this God who is so deserving. And so as we look to this God who is most deserving of our worship, may the eyes of our hearts be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which He has called us, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people and His incomparable great power for us who believe. Therefore, God, would you send us forth in that bonus and courage to proclaim your name, to proclaim the good news and allow us to walk in step with you, ever worshipping you as the Lord God Almighty, as the King 
of our life. Dismiss us with your shalom, with your assurance that you are the God who will go with us and go before us. We thank you in Jesus' name and all of God's people here on site and online say together, Amen, Amen. Praise God, praise God. We're glad you had spent some time listening to God's Word and we hope that the message has ministered to you. You can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.